Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. The Killer Women Vodcast is pleased to be a part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. To learn more about Danielle and her books, visit her at www.daniellegirard.com and to access all of our vodcasts, go to youtube.com forward slash authors on the air. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Hello, and welcome to Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with 4 million listeners. I'm your host, suspense author Danielle Girard, and my guest today is Georgina Cross. Georgina is the author of One Night and Nanny Needed and the Amazon bestselling author of The Stepdaughter, as well as The Missing Woman. Her newest book, The Girl in Your House, is out September 2nd. Georgina has two more books set for publication in 2023. She's a member of International Thriller Writers, Mystery Writers of America, and the founder and president of Susie's Wish. Married to David, they enjoy weekends with their combined family of four sons. And here I have the girl in your house. Welcome, Georgina. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Danielle. Good to see you. Georgina and I just met for the first time in real life um, at Thriller Fest this last week, this last summer, which was so fun. And we're going to get to see each other um, again at VoucherCon, the World Mystery Conference. If you haven't looked into that, it's it's for readers and writers, and it's super fun this year in Minneapolis. Yay! So, yay! <laughs> so, writer time! Reader time! It's so fun. So first of all, um, Georgina, tell us a little bit about The Girl in Your House. The Girl in Your House. Okay, so it's my third book with Book Tour. They're uh, under Hachette Publishing, and they're more of a digital publisher, but they also print around the world, so paperbacks as well. Um, but The Girl in Your House, I, after writing The Stepdaughter, that was my very first book, it was so successful, and it was such a surprise. It was my debut, and I really didn't know what the hell to expect. It was COVID. It was awesome, you know, <laughs> September release of 2020. So I just sat back and, and watched the reviews come in. And after seeing the response to that, the whole concept of this neighborhood, the people in the home, um, not so much a locked door mystery, but just the characters within a home and how do they trust each other, whether or not they should trust each other. It made me think, okay, not that I wanted a cookie cutter, another book down the line, but um, it definitely popped the idea into my head. My editor helped too, of who else can we have in a family that should we trust them or should we not trust them? And that, yeah, that's the girl in your house. Um, so you have a little experience of that, right? Because you have a blended family. And so uh, I like- I am chose- the girl in your house. <laughs> you are the only girl in your house. Yeah. Um, okay, so, t- um, so basically um, tell us a little bit about the premise of the girl in your house. Okay, so it is two sisters. Uh, they are estranged. They haven't spoken in quite a few years. And as we dive into the book, we find out a little bit more why, Um, but the book kicks off with a fire. So the family home burns to the ground and the sister, the older sister dies in the fire. And the only one who survives is the 16 year old niece. And so um, out of the blue, the other sister uh, who is living in Alabama, which is where I I live now, um, finds out that even though they're estranged and they haven't spoken in quite some time, she is responsible for this teenage girl and uh, her sister willed her to come live with her. And so there's a lot of trepidation. And as we turn the pages, we find out why and um, why the niece is so skeptical as well. And it just builds up to the suspense point um, with an ending, I think that is pretty 
pretty damn cool. Exactly. And, you know, she already has um, a daughter, you know, she already has a daughter at home who's a little bit younger. So that's another kind of interesting aspect of the book, I think, is that, you know, when you're raising a child, and she's also a single mom, um, raising a child, and when you're raising a child, you, you know, you realize that that the influence of an older daughter, and of course, we, you know, I have a daughter, and you, we know what it's like to be young women, um, the influence of an older daughter when her daughter doesn't have a cell phone, her daughter doesn't wear makeup, all of a sudden, and her daughter's, I think, what, 14? Thir- yeah, 13. 13, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, all of a sudden, you have this influence of this, this, you know, older girl, which it is unnerving, right? Because it's going to definitely change the way your daughter um, acts and, and immediately it does. Right. I mean, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they clicked together really well. That was fun to write too. It's just how the younger one would naturally be, um, fascinated with this older teenage girl. That's, you know, the fact that she never even knew she had a cousin. So that's another part of this, the book. Um, the fact that she didn't know she had an aunt, her mom had really kept all these secrets from her. Um, and then for the niece to come live with them too. And, And I thought it was interesting, you know, they, the, the woman starts to realize over time that, they've been estranged this whole while, but they were both single moms. Right. And and it was, couldn't, we should have reached out to each other. We could have talked. I was a single mom for quite some time too. So parts of that, um, of my own personal life, I could write into it, but to know that we missed out on all this time together, like our girls could have known each other. They could have grown up, you know, why did we separate? But again, you know, in the book, you find out why. Yeah. And there's this fun echoing that happens between, you know, the sisters, the older, you know, the older generation of sisters and the, and the sort of new younger generation of, you know, um, cousins, but they're, you know, they're, since they're going to be living together and stuff, there's, you know, there's this, um, there is a sense of, of them being sisters in a different sort of way, which is really, it's really fun to sort of have those two parallels and yet, you know, not quite parallels. And, um, and I, you know, I thought that was really fun to, to sort of unravel the, and the way you do it, you know, you give us this, just all we know is that the, you know, there was a fire and they were strange. And then we, over time we get the snippets of sort of the, you know, what happened in all those years ago and, and why um, our protagonist has been, and I, you have to remind me of her name because break blanking. Oh, Tara. Yes. Yeah. yeah Tara. I, I, and, um, I was laughing with someone the other day. Like, I'm so afraid that people are going to think I'm obsessed with fire because it's actually one of my, my worst fears. Maybe that's why I write about it. It's one of my worst fears as I'm sure it is with so many people. And my first book, it was the girl goes missing at the same time that the neighbor's house next door burns to the ground. And so while everybody is paying attention to this fire, no one's necessarily looking next door. And there's a five minute window where the girl goes missing. So that's how that book kicks off. And so there were promo pictures with like matches and, you know, there's a swimming pool and my friends were, wow. Okay. And then I, you know, I write the missing woman. There's no fire in that. Um, and then the girl in your house, it's all starts off with a fire and yeah. then the niece comes and lives there. There are several fires, um, outside that, that Tara doesn't know what's happening. And they're right. going to think that but, I'm obsessed with it. But actually like, that is interesting. Like, let's talk about that. Cause I do feel like in many ways, you know, people ask like, why do you write such dark books, right? You know, and that's been true for me as well. You know, there's a, something happens to a child and people are like, how can you even write about that mm-hmm. when you have children? But I think that's the idea, right? We are, we are working through in sort of a, in a roundabout weird way, maybe the things that scare us the very most. And for you, this makes sense that you're dealing with, that you personally are dealing with these people, these sort of strangers, if you will, in your home, mm-hmm. because that's exactly 
I mean, in, in the worst scenario of your relationship with David, with these two boys who, who aren't your birth children, although now they're your sons, you are also like, what would happen if one of them turned out to be, you know, not right. what you expected or, you know, or, and then what, and because you have the younger children, there is some sort of parallels between your life and the book, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, with the stepdaughter, it was probably easier to make it a daughter uh, yes. since I only have four boys. So I, I could like emotionally detach myself from this girl right. that goes missing. But in the dedication I wrote, you know, and I love my two stepsons, they've never told me that I'm a wicked stepmom, but I, I think it is different when there is a stepmother stepdaughter situation. Right. I have to imagine it's a lot more emotional, especially when the, the birth mom passes away. Right. And so you are becoming like a replacement mom, but yeah. um, no, my, my two stepsons and her mom is alive and well, and, and we get along. And so, but yeah, it's, it's the girl in your house, you know, like I said, it was for me to write as a single mom. Um, but also I, I found it interesting because for so long with my two children, we were tight, you know, it was the three of us and right. my older son was almost, you know, he was like the man of the house, um, right. at a very young age. And we just had an understanding between us. And even though David, we've been together for so long, we've only been married and living together three years. Mm -hmm. So it, it has to be tough when all of a sudden, they see a parent or they see a child gravitate. And so in the girl in your house, it was Tara and her daughter, Cassie for so, you know, she says it several times. It was just the two of us. Right. It was always right. just the two of us. Right. And then you see that she is spending time with this niece, this young girl that she no longer knows. She hadn't seen since she was a toddler and, right. you know, they're closing the door, right. They're having right. their secret girls club right. as, as which she, you know, Tara's a, Tara wants that. And at the same right. time, of course, that feels like a threat to sort of the relationship she and Cassie have, and also to Cassie herself, right? Because when you are a single parent, every single decision, every, you know, all the input comes from only one person. There's nobody to balance that out. And it sounded as though, you know, it, I mean, from what we learned about Tara's sister, they became sort of more and more reclusive, you know, so mm -hmm. for Hannah, the experience, who is the um, stepdaughter, or the, not the stepdaughter, sorry, the, the, the cousin who's the niece who comes mm -hmm. to live with them, it's even more pronounced, right? Um, yeah. That, you know, she had very little outside influence. And so Tara's very, she's, you know, with good reason has a lot of trepidation about what, um, you know, what's going to happen when this new child enters their, their orbit. Um, yes. So is this, so like, you know, besides the sort of idea that you, you that you have this interest in sort of the people who live in your home who aren't necessarily your birth family, if you will. Um, is that, I mean, so how do these ideas sort of like, so yes, you this, you had written the stepdaughter that, you know, you loved the sort of response to that. Um, and so you started to think about sort of like, okay, who else can be in this family? Yeah, and I noticed yeah. like your other books are like, nanny nanny needed which is another person right who can right. be um in your house who's not necessarily related to you and that i mean obviously as parents with children who you know that's another whole like who babysits your children is a whole so you have a lot of books about parents and children what so you know what draws you to that this is fascinating danielle because i've never really you know i've done so many interviews and, and we've talked about the different books i've never thought of nanny needed in that way like i've actually done interviews where i've said yeah, it was a way, you know, my sister lived in New York for quite a few years, we'd go visit and it was a way for me standing on the sidewalk, looking up at these giant penthouses on the top, you know, some of them are three or four stories tall in one building. Um, 
And just, that was where the nugget came from, but it was, how do I infiltrate? Like you said, how is there this person that can come into a family? And for me, it was the nanny. And I didn't realize that, wow, that's what I've done with my other, all my other books that appears is who is this person that can um, not only rock their world, but just see what's behind closed doors, right? right? And, and see the nuances of a relationship. And is this person hiding something? And clearly in the girl in your house, it's the girl in your house. Is it the aunt? Is it the niece? Is it the daughter? Is it the sister right. who, you know, before she passed away? Um, so it, it throws a lot into, uh, into question, but yeah, nanny needed. There you go. Danielle has psychologically <laughs> analyzed my brain. <laughs> well, I mean, I think so. Let's talk about things. I think one of, you know, this is a, this is a show about killer women and, you yeah. know, I get it. Not a man bashing show. We love men, but it's a it's a sort of opportunity to explore what it is that makes women authors different. And I think one of the things that's obvious, and it's not true of every author, but it's certainly true of both of us, is the mother part of it, right? And mm -hmm. the the relationship of a mother, you know, with um with a child is very is different than the relationship with the father of the child, mm -hmm. um, you know. And you know, we don't need to talk about why because we just know that that's true. And 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 in the nanny and I haven't read I haven't read nanny needed yet but I, but what it makes me think of is sort of the vulnerability this is what all of mm -hmm. this is about right is that the vulnerability of letting as a mother of letting somebody into your home absolutely you know, with your children so it's one thing to be like a single mom and, or a single woman and be like oh I'm letting somebody come live with me it's a roommate that's creepy enough right but when you are protecting not just yourself or not even as much yourself as you are protecting mm -hmm. the, your children because that's yeah. the instinct right we, we are of course we always worry about our own safety but inherently we worry at least as much or more I would argue probably more about the safety of our children and yeah. so that is you know and and there's also this dynamic which I think is so important in our society which is the sort of working mother versus the stay-at-home mother mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and in, in a nanny needed situation you're obviously dealing with a mother who's you know, or at least out of the home, whether or not she's, you know, working or whatever she's doing. So she's then, actually almost confined to the penthouse. Oh, the mother. Uh -huh. I'm going to have to send you a copy, Miss Danielle. Yes, you are. Yeah, she, she's confined. It's like a gilded cage in this penthouse. And then you find out why she is, uh, why she chooses to be there and is she forced to be there? And then this nanny shows up. Um, but it, the promotion has been hashtag, it's not the nanny. Because, right. because you know we know there's everybody so expects it right of course we're gonna yeah, i tell people all the time i'm like straight up this nanny does not have an affair with the man of the house yes, there is right. she's not trying to steal the child she's not trying to right. kill the mother yes that was, right well that's good uh, so that makes because we have read that nanny book which is i mean and that's you know it's a trope of course mm -hmm. but it's a successful one and we love those stories too i mean you know the hand that rocked the cradle is sort of in, seared in all of our brains right yeah but i you know i love that idea too but again so then again it's you've got this mother who's living in some way vicariously through this woman who gets to leave the penthouse. You have to send me a copy of this book. Yeah, I, it's pretty fun. That one's with Bantam. So I'm allowed, I should air quotes, allowed to um, be edgier and and use curse words. And, you know, I can have a lot more, I can basically suspend some belief <clears throat> in, the, in those books because I'm just, my editor encourages me to do that. Whereas these other ones like Girl in Your House, it's just, it's more neighborhood. It's more yeah. realistic of, could this happen to someone down the street from me? Could this happen to my own home? What would I do? Um, and I want to talk about something you brought up earlier yeah. about why we, and a lot of off, why we would write something like this. Like before the interview started, I was like, Danielle, I've read some of your stuff. And then I read Savage and <laughs> I know you're a thriller writer, but 
Savage is intense. I mean, it is, it starts off intense. Like you do not slide us in slow. And, but yet you're like one of the loveliest, happiest, <laughs> smiling, you know, people. That's the, always the like, how does somebody who looks so normal write such dark stuff, right? You get that yeah, all the like time. I met you at, at Thriller Fest. I was like, I love this woman. And um, she's laughing the whole time and <clears throat> going into other people's rooms, wearing her pajamas for palm readings at like midnight. That is midnight. true. I did do that. Yes. <laughs> and, and so, um, but I think, you know, I've heard other authors say this and I copy it from them, but I think so many of us, we are, we tend to be more cheerful and, and bubbly because we exorcise our feelings. Like we yeah. get them out on the page. Um, yeah. My husband, I love him to death, but my God, he bottles everything inside. Like he's mm. the guy on the green mile, the big, huge man that like sucks in all the bad stuff and just tries to take it away from everyone else. And yeah. then it, it, you know, and, and I see David do that. Whereas I am, you know, a curse bomb every few seconds and I just release it all out yeah. of my, my, and I feel that that's what a lot of us can do. And once we get it on the page, we can somehow be bubbly and people will meet us and go, I, I can't believe you even write right. this stuff. Right. Um, what's wrong with you? <laughs> right. Exactly. Why do you look so normal? Um, I think that's right. And we talked about this a little bit about this also. And I can't remember the interview had started now. I'm forgetting, but that fear thing again, right? Yeah. Like if you know, if you if you if you're holding in all your fear, then of course it sort of eats you from. And it's why people have ulcers, right? It kind of eats you from the yeah. inside. Versus if you're working it out in in a way, even if the worst fear comes true, which it usually yeah. does in the books, that's the whole sort of the idea. At least you're kind of expelling it, like you're exercising it. So yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we all have stress and anxiety. I can't even imagine if I didn't write this stuff out and get it out of my yeah. system. <laughs> What, I know what the, the stress I do, you know, we're authors. And then there's this other level of like uncomfortableness and, and stress. But, um, but yeah, I, I just, I think, you know, SNL did that skit. I think it was a year ago. And I don't know if you watched it, but they were making fun of all the women who watched all the, uh, the killer tri crew tribe documentaries. No, I have to watch it. So it's, I'll send you the link. So SNL makes fun of us. It's just, it's women who love killer shows. Like yes. why, why would we watch this crap? And they're in their pajama pants all day, you know, and their partners come home and are like, have you literally been watching this for six hours? Yes, I have. Um, and it's like, why would we do that? Glennon Doyle in one of her podcast interviews was like, there's enough heartache in life. I don't want to watch yeah. that kind of stuff. Whereas yeah. her wife, Abby is like, but it's, it's, informational to me it's gripping to me it's entertainment like I can right. pull myself away um and separate but at the same time I think in the back of our minds we're going well as authors we're going is that a story idea right, right let's be truthful but there's right. also a level of shit what would I do if something happened one day and I was in a situation or how do I look out for people there is this part of um information gathering it's deep 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 down but we are watching this as a how do I avoid being abducted? Um, there's a fascination to the killers. Mm -hmm. What in the hell were they thinking? Um, psychopaths are just so frightening, but fascinating. Right. And that's how do I you know that's raise, killer women? How do I, you know, how do I not raise a psychopath? Right. How do yeah. I make my daughter aware of what you know psycho or sociopathic behavior looks like? Yeah. Um, you know, and also how, you know, like you said, I mean, we know our neighbors, how well do we know our neighbors? I mean, you know, you, obviously there's some, there's people out there and plenty of them who are like, I never had any idea 
that, right. that he was doing what he was doing. And there's people married to those people who never have any idea, right? Yeah. And then obviously, oftentimes the mothers of, you know, particularly now we have this generation of mass shooters. Uh, they're young white men, almost exclusively, right? Mm-hmm. And there are mothers out there who are like, you know, oftentimes single mothers are doing the best they can. They're working multiple jobs, you know, so they're, they're you know, and they're like, I... I don't know. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I just finished reading a book called The New House. I think it Tess. I'm going to blink out her last name. Um, She's with Avon, but it talks about, it starts off from a psychopath's point of view. And then you find out who the psychopath really is at the end. But what I found fascinating is they said um, it's it's similar to autism where there's a spectrum Mm -hmm. with any personality trait, positive or negative. So a lot of people can be considered psychopathic but they're functioning. They learn through like reactions from family members or friends. Oh, that's not the right thing to do. Or they don't seem happy. So I probably shouldn't repeat that. Or this is how I should respond and say, I'm sorry. Right. Right? They learn epic. They can learn it. And then there's this like bit of on the spectrum where a lot of these psychopaths and this floored me are tech moguls to an extent, CEOs, Mm -hmm. neurosurgeons. And I'm not saying blanket statement. This is not for all of these folks. Right. 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 We've interpreted it as, wow, these people are highly ambitious, mm-hmm. very driven, um, mm-hmm. can compartmentalize because there is a level in their personality that they can separate. Then you get into the level of psycho- psychopathy, I think it's called, where unfortunately, you know, they may do harm and they may want to hurt other people and they just don't, right. they have no empathy to do it. It was fascinating, this book, because there are several people um, wanting to buy this house that all demonstrate traits of psychopathy but you, they all have like normal jobs. Right. And there's one who's blindingly, you know, the parents at an early age are like this kid, there's something wrong with our son. Yeah. I can't even imagine being like, there is something wrong with our little boy. Right. Um, Anyway, if you get a chance, new house. I will. That's like the nurture nature question, right? Like, and you know, I think it's like you said, if it's a spectrum, then oftentimes, you know, the right environment for a kid can, you know, can avoid sort of the the tragic outcomes that we see, you know, on these TV shows. And sometimes of course, even the right upbringing doesn't do it. Um, You mentioned something else earlier that I want to talk about, because I think it's something that, that we have, I haven't addressed a lot on the show. And I, and I think it's an interesting aspect of publishing, which is that you are one of those people and they're rare because it's, I don't know how you do it, who, who writes for two different publishers. Right. Yes. And, and as you said, you know, what book a tour, which is part of Hache, what they are looking for in the book is really different from what your Bantam publisher is looking for. And I think people don't really understand how much of um, our stories are sort of, you know, hamstrung or mitigated or, you mm-hmm. know, guided guided <laughs> right maybe hamstrung is the wrong word but um <laughs> or, or I, hamstrung it depends on your perspective so talk a little bit about that because I think that because book a tour those the books seem to be a, a little bit shorter right so yeah. tell us like what's the sort of when you're writing for bantam it's sort of this and when you're writing for book a tour it's sort of that because I think that's yeah. interesting to hear about yeah and I've done several interviews with about the fact that I'm with two different publishers because I think for some folks, it is fascinating, and they're probably going, "Why in the hell would she do this to herself?" Yeah, yeah I mean, for sure. <laughs> but I, you know, I worked a full-time career for twenty-plus years, and I, but I wrote on the weekends, so I had several manuscripts, and my agent just could not sell the first manuscript. But like a lot of us do, we start writing, working on something else in the background. Right. So all of a sudden, I had like several manuscripts, pretty much ready to go, 
And my agent within three months signed a two book deal with Book Tour. And then I was like, I have this nanny needed manuscript. And she was like, oh my God, I, I know who to pitch this to. And we sold it in less than a month to Bantam. And so okay. it, you know, at that point I was like, I'm not going to turn down any contracts. I'd waited right. four years. Right. But now I'm with two different publishers. So it was hairy that first year. I really think it was the adrenaline that got me going and kept me. And then I was hired. Oh my gosh, Danielle. Then I was hired that same year to ghostwrite a book for a local woman who is a business woman. She started her own career. Um, oh my company. gosh. So she was the reason I was able to leave my full-time job because she basically paid me like a part-time staff for the rest yes. of the year. They're turning that book. And then the next year I kind of crashed. Yeah. But, but this is all while raising, you know, at least two kids by yourself. Virtual learning. And then, then, yeah. Right. We're, we're virtual learning. It was amazing. I think my Uh, husband almost left me and I was just very irritable. I was just tired, but at the same time, I was like, I'm finally doing it. And uh, so to answer your question, sorry, it was a long answer, but to answer your question, you know, that first year it was just, okay, how do I handle two different editors? Cause it is like two different bosses. They are our bosses. But I had two of them, different personalities, both had their own specialties and two different timelines. So contractually, you know, I had to put it all on my calendar. And um, and so it was a little hairy. But then the next year when they both wanted to re-sign me, it was amazing. So I signed again. Um, but then it was, hey, guys, we should probably, because of a marketing standpoint, we need to really try and separate Georgina's books just because, and I get where they're coming from the marketing efforts, they don't want it to overlap, it kind of mucks up some stuff. So we made some conditions. Um, so the contract was amended that that Book of Tour books will not be published within four months before or four months after a Bantam book. Mm-hmm. That gives a window for marketing yeah. to kind of do its thing and see how the books are selling. Um, but also we went another step further that Book of Tour, they could be shorter. So there's still like 70, 80,000 words. Um, and to make it another step further, I said, I'll, I'll stick with the neighborhoods because they really do like the domestic suspense angle, Yeah. but um, I'll leave them in the South because yeah. I live here and all of our neighbors are like, oh dear God, please don't tell me you're writing. You know, that's right. not about me. My, you're not writing about our neighborhood. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, two of the books are set like near where I live. One of the books, the missing woman is my old neighborhood. And so I get messages all the time. Like, who is this based on and there's street names. And, um, so that's a lot of fun. And, and people down here are just, they're super excited that there are books that they can relate to. There's, right. there's not enough drama in the South, Danielle. So I might as right. well. I've some- always thought the drama, the, the South seems sort of dry on drama for sure. Oh no, we have lots. Of, I mean, there was a murder up our street with a, with a doctor. Um, I was kidding. The South has got plenty of drama. You guys yeah, have lots of, like- I mean, everybody, everywhere has drama. Would the least dramatic place is probably Montana, right? I mean, not a lot of drama here. Actually, Cowboys. I was approached by someone. I'm not going to write it, ghost write their book. I'm too tired. But um, but he is a bounty hunter. Like he and his wife, oh. he, he used to work in TV news and they grew up in Montana and they moved back to Montana and their dad, I think his dad is a bounty hunter. And he said, just some of the um, people they've chased after, they, oh, they sure. have so many stories. And I was like, that is Damn, and that's in Montana, Danielle. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, there's there's drama to be found anywhere. But um, so it's interesting. So I, and people, I, this is another thing that I think um, people who meet authors oftentimes do. You know, is they they read a book and think, oh wow, which part of that is you? Mm-hmm. You know, so disavow them of that of that too, because that's not really how it works, right? 
Uh-oh. Um, so, I mean, do you think the characters that we're writing about aren't really us? Of course, there's some right. sliver of like reality in there. You know, you know what it's like to be a mother. So you're, right. you're in, but in terms of the sort of the drama of it or, or the, the friend you had who was, you know, in a book who's a, who betrayed you or the neighbor who's, a, right. you know, psychopath. Yes. The, it's not really how we're not no. really basing these on. No, and thank God. And I hope none of this ever happens. You know, I'm like, please, I really don't ever want this to happen to anybody I know. Um, But it was interesting, The Missing Woman, I had to write it fast because I was under contract. So I wrote it in two and a half months. I just had to pump it out. Um, But it flew flew out of me. And it's like I said, it was based in my old neighborhood. Um, And after my husband read it, and my mother read it, they said, you're Erica, which is the main character. And I was like, no, I'm not. Um, and I wasn't Erica, but like you said, there were enough, you know, that, that house, it's my old house, the way it's yeah. laid out. That's my counter kitchen counter. That's my blue moon. She's drinking. That's the driveway. She goes outside. There's the hill where the woman supposedly has gone missing. So yeah, I, you know, and, and <laughs> use, use what, you know, right. I mean, if you're going to picture you know. something, obviously, you know, um, if you'd really gone through something tra- you know traumatic like that, you probably wouldn't write about your house. But I think right. it is important. Like, and that's a thing too. I mean, I think, and I don't know how you do this, but I think it's really important when you're writing, um, especially like you said, sort of where you're in the house a lot. You got to understand exactly kind of. You got to walk in and know where the kitchen sink is and the refrigerator and where the mm-hmm. bedrooms are, and you know, because if you don't, you know, it's. I think it's really hard to write about the inside of a space and you're not not all of that has to be in the book in fact probably not all of it should be in the book but you need to know like hey she put it on the counter beside the sink and you know exactly in your head you know where that is and how it oh faces, yeah you know, faces I think the back know, of we're the house. all we're all so visual so we're writing setting you know so many of us the setting is like another character really yeah. um but if it's not another character yeah we definitely envision and have to see it in our minds because in a weird way we're we're playing it out like it's a it could be a tv show one day or it could be a movie right. one day or it's just a movie in our own heads right um but yeah i mean yeah i hope to god danielle you know have people in your life that have like been serial killers and and i don't think anybody imagines that not um, yet <laughs> not yet not good exactly That's no I, I don't think they do it there but i think particularly the secondary characters are throw you know those sort of you know the characters that just create um, atmosphere. I think people do think, well, who, you know, that, that person seems familiar. Um, yes. so now I was going to ask you, since you're, you, since you're on such a crazy fast, um, schedule and you said you just wrote that, you know, you just had to write a book like in two and a half months, which is totally insane. Um, what do you think about writer's block? Does it exist? How do you get past it? I used to believe in writer's block, but now I believe that because I experienced it several times this year, don't get me wrong. And last year, um, I do believe it's, it's, we think it's a writer's block, but it's really interpreted as, or it's really boils down to, there's some sort of anxiety in our minds. There's something distracting us, whether it's the kid that's moving into college, whether it's a, an issue with a parent, a husband, a partner, whatever, um, you know, waiting for feedback from your editor, like just anything can get in the way. Um, and burnout is another factor too, but I do believe that that is writer's block when we cannot because I've done that where I'm like bashing my head against the keyboard mm-hmm. I was doing it last week I have a book with book a tour that I have to turn in mid-October <laughs> Coming so up. I just started it two weeks ago and last week I'm like bashing my head against the keyboard repeating the sentences and I was like what is going on with me um yeah. 
And it's because I'm, I'm waiting to hear feedback right. from my editor about my Bantam book that I right. turned in in July, it, you know, and the kids were going back to high school. And so that's the writer's block. Once you can clear your mind, I feel as if that's when we're able to sit right. down and write. But unfortunately, that's also when we become authors, like we become so tunnel visioned, right? Because yeah. when we reach that glorious state, we are so in the zone, forget the spouse, <laughs> forget friends right. like dinner everything. right I was but wait what was I supposed to do I didn't do it yeah and we're but supposed also, to I think you. Sometimes, sometimes the writer's block I think also is a way of of sort of the the your subconscious saying there's something quite not not quite right about the direction you're going mm, are you a mm -hmm. do you plot a book out or are you do you are you a pantser I'm a I'm a plotter now okay so that is interesting so that may be not the scenario with you but for me when I cannot figure out what happens next because mm -hmm. I'm not a plotter and I wish I were but I I've never been able to do it successfully that I it's something the the world the book is saying yeah uh -uh, you're, you're heading in the wrong direction yeah okay so you're so you're a pantser I mean do you at least you have the beginning in your head and, and I usually have, have the culminating scene like I know I know exactly sort of what goes on the sort of that last action scene. So then I know where okay. I'm working towards. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, um, no, you're exactly right. That that's another element for sure is we don't maybe we don't even know our characters quite yet. So it's yes. like I don't know how he's supposed to talk or act and or how she's supposed to be. And it and yes, that's another level of I don't know how to write these characters and they're not in their heads yet. Like Alice Feeney. I'm reading Daisy Darker right now. Yeah, I ordered that too. So I, I just want to be her. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be Daisy Darker or Alcini? We need to Oh, clarify. no, I don't want to be Daisy. Sorry. No, let me clarify. Yeah, I wouldn't mind funny. going to the house. This sea glass house on the Cornish coast just sounds fascinating. Okay. Um, but no, Alice Feeney, I've listened to interviews with her. She like thinks about her characters, especially her main character for months. Yeah. She starts ordering food like they would. Oh She'll my gosh. start thinking how Daisy would be. So Method when she acting. sits down to write, she is Daisy Darker. Yeah. You know, she is the woman that was in Rock, Paper, Scissors. Yeah. And I think some of us, we don't maybe do that. I don't want to do that to such an extent. Um, I don't want to go out to a restaurant and order food like a, you know, one of my Yeah, because I don't like Daisy Darker food, maybe. <laughs> right? I want right. I want to order what I want to want. But that is that. Right. But even thinking about it, right? Even yeah. thinking about like, if I'm going to order what I want because I'm Danielle. But it, if I were being my character, what would she order? She right? basically what does, what is it? Method acting. That's what I was just saying. Yeah. I just said that. Yeah. That is, I mean, that is really, and that's, I mean, that is a trick, right? We got to figure mm -hmm. out how to know our characters. And, and sometimes, you know, I wish I could sort of be thinking about a future character a little bit more during a current book. It makes you feel a little schizophrenic, a multiple personality disorder when you have to be thinking about a future book and a current book and the book you're yeah. revising. And then the book yeah. is coming out. I mean, it's, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of different people to, to have in your head. Right. Yeah. No, I admit, even at the beginning of this interview, I was like, I know we're talking about girl in your house. Wait, what's the main character? Right, right. 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 <laughs> I didn't make it easier for you. Cause I was like, yeah, is I it... can't remember now either. Why is that? That's terrible. <laughs> but well, you um... read so many books to prepare for all of us. I don't know how in the world you keep track either well, um, I try I mean it actually is not that I first of all the books I'm reading are ama amazing at your, the girl in your house included and so that's helpful and I try to read them as close to po as possible to the interview right so that I can kind of have it fresh in my mind so yeah um yeah. but I yeah. obviously enjoy and I I enjoyed it so much and I'm really looking forward to the nanny um nanny needed now what's the next bantam book it's coming out it sounds like next year now what do you yes. have a title for that one yes it's actually the title I came up with which is like 
amazing. So fun. I know that that didn't happen to me for a lot of books. Yeah. Right. That, you know, book of tour is like, this is the title we're going with. This is the cover it's done. Bantam, at least, you know, they're a little bit more hand in hand, create like, what are some of your ideas? And so, yeah, they, they took one night. That's the name of it. And basically it's, um, it's, it's based on a house we rented on the Oregon coast. My husband did for all the family members and we all got together and, you know, there's cousins and aunties and they're playing board games and, and going out to the beach. And I was looking around going, this would be an amazing place for a murder. I love the Oregon like, coast too. right there it's, on the Pacific ocean, you know, and it's cold, right? It's like always a little foggy there. It's just and it's amazing. Got, and of, yeah, there's great a storm. Atmosphere. The yeah. storm has to come through, of course. But yeah, so it, it's one night. It's literally one night. A family, um, 10 years prior, their daughter who was in high school was murdered. Her boyfriend at the time, he um, he's convicted of the crime. He's sent to prison. He gets out on parole. And the family receives a, an invitation basically saying, if you really want to find out what happened to Megan, you'll go to this house. I'll tell you everything. Well, they don't know who it's from. Half the family's convinced it's the boyfriend that's out on yeah. parole. The other fam yeah. half the family thinks maybe we made a mistake and there's somebody else. Um, so they all gather at this house begrudgingly, some of them, and the storm comes in, of course. Um, and the uncle shows up, but he has come across the ex-boyfriend, the one that's out parole and he's wrecked into a tree. And so he drags him to the house. And now the family spends hours, hours ticking by of, do we save this man? Mm -hmm. Is that the moral ethical thing to do? Or do we just take him out? because he killed our little girl and you have to get to dawn you know they're just waiting for daylight um to happen and so it's it's quite an emotional and it's also there's a lot of stuff that gets as tensions mount everybody's right. deprived and um just staring i mean they're like circling him like vultures uh and they him? and that's obviously during that night is when they figure out what actually happened all those years ago Correct. So exciting. And then Correct. before that, though, do you have a you have a, another book coming up first, or is that the next book? Is that the next Georgina Cross? No, the the one that I'm writing now. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's talk next year. When I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. Um, the one I'm writing now that's due in October. That'll come out in April. So that's another book a tour book. Um, and that's the girl, the woman in your photograph, or I don't know, the title's not determined yet, but that's completely different. Okay. Um, and then the one night book will be next August. Yes. August, I think is the dates all got changed. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's been so, a lot. I mean, there's paper shortage and there's editorial staff shortages and edit. I mean, yeah, the world is still, is still wonky, but at least we're back in real life. I'm so happy to be able to get, to go to conferences again. It was I mean, that was just, those two years were tough for everybody. Yeah. Well, and that's why we'll all get to be together at, at VoucherCon. So what you're, um, so you, you had Savage, the ebook, which you said had a ton of downloads, which is awesome. Thank you. And then are you- Savage are Art. You, yeah. That was my Savage very Art. first book. Um, and it had just had its 22nd birthday. So it was free for a couple of days, which is, um, which was fun. And it did have, I think, 35 30 something and change. So um, that was amazing. fun. It was fun to give it away. Yeah. Are you going to do more of those you think, or the free I mean, books? It's great, yeah. It's a great promo idea. I mean, yeah. You know, the nice thing about those, so I, those first books were from Penguin Putnam, but, but, but before really eBooks were a thing, that's how old I am. Um, my first book came out in nine, in 2000. Um, okay. So <laughs> long time ago. Um, and so I was able to get the rights reverted, which was something okay. you could do kind of around 2012 before, you know, 
Um, and so I, the first nine books, actually, my first nine books are all kind of under my control. So yes, I can, and as they have birthdays, which they will, um, I, you know, we can celebrate them. I, it's, um, it's interesting to be your own marketing machine. I mean, I right. guess all of us have to do that a little bit, right? The, right. the industry requires- You get requires. to set your price points and you can do these flash promos like mm -hmm. this weekend, only like what you did with Savage Art, which I think is so cool. And, you know, the, the price is now $5.99 or $1.99, right? right? And because that's the thing with Bookature is, is they've been able to do so well because the man they, who started it pulled out of a major publisher mm -hmm. and wanted to focus on low-priced books because he was looking at the math. Right. <laughs> I mean, imagine that. And he looked at the math of if he priced books at 99 cents, it's dollar 99, which was hard for me to swallow. I mean, I can right. be honest with you right. in the beginning, it was, I've worked on this for how, you know, and, and you're right. selling it for so low, but there are voracious readers that are flying through two or three books a week. Yeah. And so they will buy it. And yeah, the stepdaughter did so well. I mean, even my agent was like, I am so pleasantly surprised with how this is going. Yeah. Um, so there's pros and cons. And then with a big publisher, like you said, you get all this marketing muscle. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a little bit slower, you know? And, and, and the, yeah. And then, and basically the thing with the big publisher really is that it's, you know, the, and people don't maybe know how publishing works, which is an interest, another sort of interesting thing with most, with sort of traditional publishers and Bantam is one of those, as was, you know, the Penguin Putnam imprint I was with all those years ago, they pay you what they call an advance. It's money mm -hmm. up front um, in order for you to sort of sustain your life while you write the book is, is how that started. And but a lot of times you don't, you don't sell through, which means you, you, once you get your advance, then as you sell books, they sort of reduce the amount of advance that, you know, that you've, you've earned. And if you earn out, that means you've, you've repaid your advance, you know, all this, but for, yeah. for listeners who don't, and then you start to get royalties on top of that. And for a lot of authors, um, you know, they never do earn out the, the advance right. is big enough or, you know, that they don't earn out. And with these small publishers and Thomas and Mercer, who did my last six books, which is obviously an imprint of Amazon works exactly the same way. You get a very small mm -hmm. advance and you think, oh my God, that's not enough to sustain me as I write the next book, but those books earn out really quickly. And then you get, right. you, you get like a, a paycheck, which is for an author, um, really different. Right? Are y'all paid every month? With we Thomas are. Mercer? That's wild. So yeah, I mean, I've talked with people where I'm like, after being corporate America for 20 something years, I know, and getting a paycheck every two weeks. Now I'm like, I don't know if, if I'm getting paid in six months, it could be right. four months. I don't know what the amount's going to be. Um, I don't check my, my sales rankings just cause I'm like, don't want to do it. Yeah. It, it just makes it is us, what it is. It, yeah. It makes us crazy. So it's not, and it's then, not. and then it's like bonus when the money comes, but so book a tour pays quarterly. Okay. Yeah. Which that is, is amazing as I'm learning, but Thomas Mercer, that's even more amazing. I know. And then Bantam it's four payments over two years for the book. And then if they, if they earned out though, they would pay quarterly as well. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so that's starting to happen because Nanny yeah. needed came out last year. But it is, it's wacky budgeting and- It's so hard. It's so hard to yeah. plan your life around that, right? Especially the- That's why so many authors have another job or yeah. they're eating, you know, ramen noodles and, yeah. stuff and soup with their teenagers. Cause it's like, wait, I'm supposed to live on how right. much money um, yeah. for two years? But yet we love doing, like, I can't even imagine. And I'm sure yeah. you're the same way. It's like, we can't imagine not writing. So are you- No, it's a labor now? of love. It's a labor of love. And- and, you know, and actually really, I think 90, I mean, there's obviously, you know, um, there's, there's other people, there's people out there who don't have to eat ramen or worry about it so much, but for most of the working writers, you know, 90, yeah. 
98% of us, right? We are, um, the money is not the reason that we do this, I think. Right. And that's why we continue to, to bash our heads against the keyboard and yes. plot or pants or figure yes. out the books. I have a tip for you. So I, when I plot, I mean, I'm talking, it is chapter headings with bullet points. Wow. That's it. That's it. But, it but gives still, that, line. that's amazing that's that you know. But it doesn't take long. It doesn't need to be overwhelming. I know people who do pages, especially fantasy writers. They oh, well, they, yeah. World building is a whole different deal. Yeah, I get that. But I'm like, I'm not going to write 20 pages of an outline because that could have been 20 pages of a book. Yes, <laughs> so, right. You have to be uh, yeah efficient. Bullets. Well, and- that's smart. I maybe I'm 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 like 70,000 words in. See, I'm also a longer write. My books are always 100,000 words, and I wish I was. Wow. I'm also not, yeah, clearly I'm not, I'm, I'm a little wordy as well, but, um, but maybe I'll try that. Cause I'm, I'm getting close to the end of act two. So we, you know, cool. and then act three is always a little shorter. So we'll, I should probably try that and see if I can at least know where I'm going. Cause once it's like, you know, somebody else said, and I believe this is totally true. Um, that the easiest place to stop is in the middle of something, right? Because then the mm-hmm. next day when you get there, you're like, I know where I am. And yeah. then if you can get to the next middle of something, then you leave yourself sort of a, a little string to pull on first thing. Because, you know, you, otherwise it's starting from a blank page with a chapter number at the top is a lot harder than starting with a, oh, I know where we are in this chapter and I know what oh, happens yeah. next. It's so. so overwhelming. So, I mean, yeah, it's bullet points. That's all I do. And as I work through the manuscript, it changes. I'm of like, course. oh, so these bullets or this one bullet needs to move down here mm-hmm. instead, or this one needs just to be deleted completely. So it's fluid, you know, it, yes. basically that's, I think that's how writing should be. Like we should be discovering and adding characters or killing off characters potentially yeah. as we move yeah. through. Um, that's like the brilliance of it. That's JT the magic. Ells- yeah. JT Elson's a friend of mine and she, um, she writes scenes and then she puts them in order yeah. here she's and there. so yeah she's I had her on the show she's brilliant I'm like I don't know JT how you do what you do plus now she's writing a whole fantasy mm-hmm. series with them um, the CIA librarian which I love yeah. Jane Thorne so that's yeah. really fun too yeah. um yeah I mean I think you're right I think that that's um there's a and that's I guess maybe the real the gist of it is that there's a million ways to do this Mm-hmm. Um, you just kind of have to find the way that works for you. But I, I feel like even though I'm 22 years in and 16 books plus how many that didn't ever make publication, I feel like I can get better. <laughs> I feel like I can get, you know, not just better writer, which of course I think we all get better, but also smarter. I'd like to get smarter. Well, we're constantly learning and there's different stuff going on in our lives. So sometimes right. we write or we'll like, I've been reading Megan Miranda quite a bit and I know mm-hmm. you had her on the show. She's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I noticed I'm writing this new book almost like a Megan because it's in my head. Yeah. Because um, she has these shorter sentences and um, sentence fragments, and with th- suspense, it works. Yeah. But some editors hate it, you know? And right. so it's going to be interesting to see if I have to change it. Um, but yeah, I think we just are constantly learning. It's like yeah. I, when I sent you The Girl in Your House and I, I emailed you and I was like, I am rereading the first chapter and I'm just like cringing. No, <laughs> no, it's, a, it's I mean, that is, it's it's actually, it's and like you said, I think Book of Tour does a really good job of these pro- propulsive, you know, stories. Yeah. It is a, it's a one night read. I mean, and that is for a lot of people. And I'm, you know, I'm a pretty, I'm not like, a, I'm not a slow reader. I shouldn't say that, but I'm not a, not a crazy fast reader. And yeah. it's a book that, you know, the, the, the chapters are pretty short, yeah. the, you know, the pacing is really strong. So you, and I think that's how it's meant to be. It's a, you know, it's a, 
a dish best served hot. <laughs> I love that. Uh, well, listen. Can I blurb um, you for that? <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, hundred percent. Yes, anytime. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming. It's been so much fun, and um, I'm I'm feeling super excited that we get to see each other here in. It's like a month. Is it a month? Yeah, August September. Early it's a September. Month. Um, a month from right this second, we will be together, which is super fun. We'll um, be at the bar. We'll be at the well. I, it's ten a.m. I guess it's eleven in 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 Minneapolis. Maybe yeah. we'll be headed to the bar though. Who knows? Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I want to thank you so much for coming today and talking about um, the girl in your house and um, all the books and um, all your success. And it's been so much fun. So cool. Thank you, Danielle. And we'll see you next time on Killer Women. With today has been my guest Georgina Cross, and I'm your host Danielle Gerard. Enjoy. Bye.